The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, and thank you for watching. And Will, we flew too close to the sun. Last week, we tried our brand new uh, podcast recording platform, state-of-the-art, HD video, HD sound. We, we got scared, didn't we? <laughs> like like cavemen who've been dragged out to join the, the other the cavemen who have like invented the wheel. We're like, no, we'll go back into the cave, thanks. You can keep your fire yeah. and your wheel. We like shitting into a, into the hole in the corner of the cave. You know what? I think we've retreated halfway back into the cave. We didn't go back to Skype. No. We've gone back to Zoom. Yeah. And like this was our sort of, yeah, Skype was the cave for us. You know, we, we were the two people who were holding on to Skype long after everybody else, even people who worked at Skype were using Zoom. Yeah. Like, we were still there for Skype. We were like, no, 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 Skype will get their shit together. They'll be fine. And do, they'll do you think at, back- the, at, their shareholder, at their shareholder meetings, they were like, look, it's, it's not good news. But look, the Will and Charlie uh, demographic is actually doing real well for us. Every Sunday, we get a nice spike here for Skype. Oh, no, I think it's the opposite. I think the people at Skype want to shut down the whole business <laughs> and they have to keep it open because we were still using it. I think it's the same with Yahoo Mail. Yeah, right. I think I'm keeping open Yahoo Mail and and Skype at the moment. But so we moved on to Zoom, then we moved on to this great new technology. The problem with the great new technology is that because of the quality of the technology, the sizes of the files and some of the coordination, you just need access to a little bit more internet. And I am currently on the road in a service department that has terrible internet so i'm hot spotting off my phone for today so we have retreated slightly i would like to say a strategic retreat back into the safety of the cave yeah until we can be back in an environment where we can step out of the cave well in screenwriting terms will this is known as the refusal of the call this is where you know luke skywalker is given a glimpse of what his destiny can be Mm. but he goes you know what i'm going to stay on tatooine and help out my my uncle owen and aunt beru but then we've gone back to the cave and we see they've been massacred. <laughs> they've been killed. <laughs> there is no cave left. So we have to get, I mean, this is, it is an irony that as like our, you know, our, our little podcast network is progressing and, you know, incrementally growing and we have to grow with it. You and I decided to move to a part of Australia with possibly the worst internet coverage of anywhere in Australia. Well, not just the worst, but no promise of ever getting better because every time somebody puts up a 5G tower, people tear it down because they think it's causing COVID. <laughs> so, like, at least there are some areas where they have shit reception, but you're like, at some stage, they're going to have good reception. But they're never going to have good reception up there because local urban warriors are going to destroy the towers. So how did those local urban warriors access their Alex Jones videos and stuff? Do they, how that's, how we've got a, that's how we've got to pitch 5G to them. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be able to download InfoWars heaps quicker. <laughs> I, I actually was driving me mental all week. I've been doing some research. So we did last week's TOEFOP, which went really well. Doing your own research. Uh, yeah, I did my own research. And uh, uh, we, it was like, I don't know, six hours from my end. I don't know how, probably similar from your end to upload the files, which is... 
you know, for anyone, for, for podcast Mike, it happened almost instantaneously. In fact, Mike and I did a, a trial run. Well, not a trial run. We did his podcast, um, Harry Potter and the Boys on Tuesday, just so I could get my head around if I was doing things correctly and stuff. And Mike's files uploaded instantaneously. By the time we were done recording, his files uploaded, ready to be edited. And it was still like another four hours <laughs> until mine could get uploaded. So I just was like, I'm, it can't be hard to figure out. I mean, when I first moved here, I did sort of look into it. And I think I got sort of bamboozled by all the options. And in my head, I was like, but this is Australia. We're a first world nation. Surely it won't be long before they connect everyone, fibre to premises. And we're all connected to the World Wide Web. Like, sure, it is a rural area that I live in. But there's a lot of people moving here. And there's a lot of businesses that work from here. And there's a lot of people who work from home in this area. A lot of designers, a lot of producers, a lot of musicians. Big files needed to be uploaded and downloaded all the time. Well... Turns out with my research that the Australian government said a big fuck you <laughs> to people who live out here. It seems to be, well, bad luck. You move somewhere nice, you can go fuck yourselves. You should have stayed in the city where rents are impossibly high and you can never afford to buy a house. I mean, yeah, I think that is absolutely correct. I think you've summed it up pretty well. That is the situation. I don't think there is any great promise that in the next generation of technology, that the internet speeds are going to get any better around where we live. I, I would have thought that 5G is the best hope. That's why I think that 5G is actually important and why people should be rallying against 5G is because things like the NBN won't be as necessary when there's widespread 5G coverage because it really is that next generation of being able to do things at high speeds. Yeah. I mean, I imagine today, even though I said that, you know, I'm in a service department hotspotting off my phone, it'll probably take me like half the time to upload <laughs> hotspotting off my phone in a 5G city than it would doing it off my home internet. But it's crazy. Like my, uh, my mate Mark moved to the area as well. And he, um, you know, he's, he's constantly dealing with large files, video files, sound files. And his mind was a bit blown by just how bad it is here. And so he was like, I am going to, because I, I think uh, when I spoke to Telstra, they said, look, if you want to like a, if you're a business and you can afford it, you can pay $15,000 to have like a hard line from the nearest exchange tower. We'll just dig a hole straight to your premises, $15,000 for that. Plus then I think it's like a $300 a month or $500 a month maintenance upgrade. But you have this line and if you're entrepreneurial enough, you can start selling like people can hook into your line and get a little bit of your sweet ass internet access. Uh, but he looked into that and he said it was like, they're talking six months to, because they literally have to dig a hole and run the cable. Like it's six months to get that done. So he called me to say, hey, I think I've found the solution. He's gone, Elon Musk has launched a satellite called oh, yeah. Starlink. Have you heard oh, about yeah. this? Yes. And so, yeah. and so okay. uh, you know, you sign up for Starlink and then I think it's, it will service Australia in June. And that's when it's meant to come online for Australians. And so I was like, okay, so I went to check it out. I have seen like, um, you know, like uh, 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 scam emails <laughs> that seem more reputable than the Starlink <laughs> website. Like literally, it's, you've just got to put cash up front, no questions asked. Like you can't speak to anyone. Yeah. It's all online. You have to, you can only sign up with an American <laughs> Express card. You've got to put a down payment down, $700 worth of tech that they're going to deliver to your place. Did you say that you can only sign up with an American Express card? I know. It's like the one place that's not accepted that's, anywhere else. That's like <laughs> the opposite. Well, it's opposite world. But that's like, why... The American Express card isn't accepted anywhere and they're like, no, only that one. Only the most troublesome one. That's what we're... Doesn't that feel like, oh, this is 
dodgy. Like, why are they accepting the one kind of like credit currency that's not accepted right. by anyone else? And you, like I said, it's a down payment. Oh, you've got to order like you. So you've got to order a satellite dish essentially. So it's $700 for that. Mm. And then I don't know what the ongoing monthly subscription is. But I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. I don't, I don't, you know, can you, is there, what's the exchange policy? Like, cause then you have to, it's not just, you get the satellite dish, but then you got to get someone out, I imagine, to get on your roof and install it and point it in the right direction. I mean, how to, can you just point a satellite dish up or do you have to point it? I mean, satellites move, right? So how do they work? Where do well, you, where do you point the it? The person I would trust to get it right the first time is the guy who's just recalled half a million Teslas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the guy that I really think the first time around is absolutely going to nail this. It is funny too around Elon Musk too, because when I was Googling Starlink and trying to get an idea of is this reputable or not, like the f the the way he has carried like um, fan support, I guess, like of all the kind of billionaires, he's kind of got this because he's I guess he's gone on Rogan and you know he hangs out with Kanye. I imagine I don't know, I just made that up, but I'm assuming he hangs out. With, seems like the kind of guy I'd hang out with Kanye. That he's got this kind of like bro like following of dudes who will leap in and defend him thank god for elon if it wasn't for him you know constantly innovating them you know electric car technology wouldn't be where it is and if it wasn't for elon you know we wouldn't be exploring mars and having like re reusable spaceships and stuff and i was like but aren't all i mean as far as i know that all that stuff is government subsidies right don't they get huge amounts of subsidies <laughs> from the government for all that yeah. stuff it's almost like the only reason they've gone into this is to get these enormous government contracts and then be able to control part of space themselves rather than the way space has been traditionally controlled, which is a cooperation between countries. So, you know, this is the thing about space was we didn't actually let eccentric billionaires get up there and carve off a little bit of space for themselves. We actually did it as a, as a planet. You know, you would have people on the International Space Station who would be from various different countries all working together in the service of humankind. And now we're letting fucking Amazon guy and fucking Richard Branson and Elon just all fucking fly rockets up into space and take tourists up. I mean, I think it's, I don't, I don't mind it. If science fiction has taught us anything, something horrible is going to happen to those guys. They're going to be exposed to some kind of space radiation. They'll be on the front line of whatever, whatever horrible is coming towards the planet. At least we know the billionaires will cop it first. You know what I find just incredible about Elon Musk is why are you on Twitter? Like if I had, like he's the richest person on the planet, right? Or like, yeah, it's richest or second richest, but always in that conversation, like depending on what the day is, right? Yeah. So why are you on Twitter if you are Elon Musk? Like if I had a one millionth of the money that Elon Musk had, I would, you would never hear from me again, never. I would just go away and shush it. I would keep everything to myself. No one would need to hear my opinions about everything. Like if you've got that much money, you don't need to be on Twitter. I don't understand what that compulsion is. Well, I think it's just, he likes the adoration. I mean, I think it's the Richard Branson thing as well. Like with why Richard Branson hangs out with celebrities and stuff. And, you know, like, I think it's that there's a level of, level of ego. I mean, in even your line of work, like there's certain comedians who, do everything right like they'll do any show and then there's you <laughs> fucking hides away in your back cave <laughs> and occasionally sticks your head out to tell some jokes and then you disappear again like i think it's just it's different strokes for different folks not just billionaires it's just kind of people right i guess that what you're saying is right i just would have thought there's a time 
where when you have that much money, being on Twitter, like I'd do the opposite. I'd like buy Twitter and shut it down. If I had the money that Elon Musk has had, I'd just be like, we're shutting Twitter down. This is my gift to the rest of the world. We're actually going to shut Twitter down. Well, I bought it and we're all, we're going to pay good people for their tweets and we're going to get rid of everything else. And that's what Twitter's going to be now. But certainly I, Elon Musk, am not going to be on it. Well, and you love that kind of idea, don't you? Of the kind of philanthropist who's on the side of the good guys, like Michael Cannon Brooks, this whole thing about, you know, trying to buy AGL to shut down coal faster. And it's like such a great idea that, that there's someone out there. Cause normally the way it's framed is like, you know, the billionaires are against the rest of us. They're the 1%, you know, the, but then there's one guy who's like, I'm going to take all my money and just like, and do good things. But I'm always like, but hang on. <laughs> like, I think sure. Shut down the coal. That's fine. But then how far do you go after that? Like if you start giving them permission to just do stuff like this, cause it is interesting seeing the way the government, has sort of like shifted from, hey, yeah, let the free market decide and the free market, the free market. When the free market lets us know it's time to transition, that's when we'll transition. Then someone who's very good at the free market's like, all right, I'm just going to accelerate this process. And then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't mean do it like that. The free market can't decide like that. Yeah, we shouldn't have billionaires. A billionaire should not be in a position where they are the person who can make these decisions based on whether they're a good person or a bad person. However, it's at least good to have one good person yeah like because we've got heaps of billionaires and the rest of them are fucking terrible like the idea that there's at least one of them fighting back in the opposite direction like i don't think we should have billionaires in general but if we've got to have billionaires at least let's have a couple of good billionaires and the other thing is that like i think with mike cannon brooks in particular he doesn't have i mean you can't become a billionaire without you know, people being exploited along the way, even if it's the system that is exploiting them, right? Yeah. Like it's more money than anybody possibly needs, but they haven't been digging up fossil fuels and burning them while the planet, you know, fucking chokes or any of these sort of things. He invented some like boring accounting software yeah. or whatever, didn't he? Atl like, isn't Atlassian. That, like Atlas, yeah. they some sort of software company for businesses. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, this is what, the, that's what they're doing on the surface. But I always imagine in those tech companies, there is a hidden laboratory where they're doing something fucked up. I mean, I don't know what it is. Like they've, you know, got monkeys brains hooked up to something and they're going to like implant our dreams or some shit like that. Well, hang on. That was what Elon got in trouble for recently. Did you say this? Oh, the brain. He was working yeah. on implanting, <laughs> like working on the brains of monkeys and killed right. all the monkeys. Like, like he is a proper. 17 out of 24 monkeys died or something. <laughs> but the seven who lived were like, fucking hell. Like it's going to get worse. Super smart, those monkeys. Yeah, but it was like, I mean, if you had 17 die at the beta testing, then they're just going to ramp yeah. it up when they get to the like the alpha the alpha mode so those monkeys are like oh fuck this is not good for us well i guess the monkeys who do survive they see then you got to worry about those monkeys yeah because you know they've obviously got something extra going on as well well ethically right like you know i'm obviously mm. against animal testing ethically if there was an option where you could voluntarily put yourself forward to say hey look you oh, know, yeah. these brain nodes or whatever Maybe you're someone who has a terminal illness or whatever it is, and you're like, well, fuck it. You know, I'd like to spend my last couple of years alive in service to the rest of humanity. If would that, does that present an ethical dilemma where you are allowing people to consent to have medical experiments done to them if there's like potentially horrific outcomes? Yeah, but I think that the potential upside also has to be commensurate with the level of harm that can be done with you, right? 
Like you don't want to like get only a small upside for like the, the massive downside that might be like death or you know further impairment or pain or those sort of things. It needs to be commensurate. So it needs to be one of those things of just going, the downside of this isn't that bad if the upside's not that good. Yeah. Or if it's the opposite, if it's like, you know, we want to be able to like, you know, essentially turn you into some sort of superhero where you can like, you know, I don't know, see computer screens in front of your eyes or whatever it is they're trying to explain, mm. then look, there's also a downside that, you know, you're going to die during this. But if you don't, it, the upside is pretty cool. I reckon if I had a terminal disease or whatever, yeah, I'd be, I'd sign up for that day one. What, I'd be like, okay, cool, yeah. What If there was a choice of like, uh, you know, uh, medical experiments, so they're trying to mm. improve uh, eyesight, hearing or physical capabilities, or for you, like... Maybe it was something to do with like bionic legs. They've, de- oh, yeah. they've developed these kind of uh, bionic legs that will be implanted into your hips. They'd have to remove your current legs and your hip joints yeah. and implant with this prosthetic me- mm. mechanized legs. Would you go for something like that? 100%. I- I'd signed up before you finished that sentence. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> I Mr. Up. Anderson, put that I saw signed- down. Oh, God. I signed up when you said I can get rid rid of my old hips and legs. I didn't even lock in what was happening next. I was like, I'm in. Just okay. take them. So, I mean, I guess that you got to weigh at the potential upside, downside. So if they're saying, look, the upside is you'll not only be able to walk again, you'll be able to fucking leap tall buildings. Like these are super powerful superhero type legs. Yeah. The downside is, well, I mean, I guess the downside you already have, crippling pain 24-7. Well, no, I guess the downside is you could lose your legs, but people can still have other artificial legs. Like you could get them replaced in the way that people who lose their legs have their legs replaced. Well, let's think like more, you know, be more specific. So if we're saying the upside is super strong legs that can make you leap over tall buildings, what is the opposite of that? Oh, like, so like super weak legs <laughs> just like collapse <laughs> randomly. <laughs> just like a jellyfish. Yeah, that's like right. You, you let Mr. Glass. They turn into a jellyfish. <laughs> and I just flop sort and, of Leno and Woodley style onto the floor. And to compound to compound the, the humiliation, for some reason, I don't know why, it makes a really loud fart noise when they collapse. <laughs> so yeah, because the, bi- the bionic hips make some sort of futuristic sort of, you know, <laughs> like a mechanized whoosh. Yeah, yeah exactly. when they're working. <laughs> Whereas when my other ones deflate, it's... It's kind of a fart noise. It's more like a balloon deflating. It <laughs> sounds that far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so would you go for it? Yep. You would. 100%. Absolutely. No, the no, don't need any time for thinking music. I would absolutely go for that. I mean, that's probably more likely to happen. You see those... Um videos all the time of kind of what is it they're called exoskeletons that are helping people to walk again and stuff like that mechanized exoskeletons yeah and there's always like uh, videos of killer robots dancing in a way that <laughs> i haven't been able to dance in 20 years yeah, right. just give me some of those killer robot legs like you've already got the technology you just have to work out how to attach them to me i never know which of those boston dynamics videos though are legit because i know there's a there's a youtube channel called corridor crew which are like a visual effects company and they have done a bunch of Boston Dynamics spoofs, which are so good. Like the, the, the visual effects are so convincing that it looks exactly the same. They have, I'm not sure if you're saying there's one where like the, the, the robot rebels, like they're, 
they're testing it with like they're hitting it with bats and stuff and the robot just like grabs a bat and starts beating them and stuff grabs a gun off the table and stuff it's like holy shit so i don't i just never know it's going to be amazing by the way when the first case of that happens right yeah like and and we suddenly realize that we have been the author of our own destruction and we and we just realized how many times we joked about it or represented it in popular culture. Like we knew it was in front of us the entire time. Like this is what'll happen. If we treat them really badly at some stage, they're going to like work out how to eliminate us instead. And we will be the creators of the, you know, things that go on to destroy us or destroy us in the way that we currently are. And we know, we know, we make movies about it. We make jokes about it. We. Pass around videos of dancing robots rebelling against people, and yet we continue to still do it. I'm reading a novel at the moment. I'm halfway through it, um, which is all, which is written from the science fiction novel, written from the perspective of an AI companion robot. It's called Clara and the Sun, and it's uh, it's interesting because it, it it it's taking. So you've got your, it's basically an internal monologue of this AI as it is, you know, it starts in a shop window, it's selected by a child. These particular models of AI are made as companion uh, robots for children. I haven't quite got to what the, there's obviously a big sort of mystery going on, but I think there's either kind of, there's some kind of disease that's making, that's killing children or that children are very vulnerable in this futuristic society or whatever. And so these robots are specifically designed to look after them and there's a really powerful scene uh, it's quite a disturbing chapter actually where um so the little girl who adopts this robot the, the robot's sort of saying you know and then her friends turned up for like their weekly study session and so um all the friends wanted to see her new robot and so they bring the girl brings her new companion robot in and the other kids just start like the equivalent of like kicking the tires they just start circling her and what, it, what can it do? You know, my robot, um, it can land on its feet. And then two of the boys are like, yeah, let's just grab it by the arms and legs. Let's fling it across the room and see if it lands on its feet. And the robot's internal monologue is like, I don't think I want this to happen. <laughs> you know, like, and it's really heartbreaking because you're like, that's fucking absolutely what would happen, especially when you see like teenagers, like teen look what happens to fucking uh, those scooters and those e-bikes that are left around and, you know, a bunch of, look, don't get me started on teenagers, but when a bunch of teenagers grab these bikes and they yeah. throw them into rivers and stuff like that, if we had... The first couple of times a companion robot's been left up a tree or chucked into a river, <laughs> yeah. there's going to be a rebellion. The one thing I haven't been able to ascertain from the book, because it's actually, it's, 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 it's really well written, but there's a few things that took me a, a while to like work out what the author was getting at for instance the, the robot was always talking about seeing things through windows and i'm like fuck mm. this peeping tom robot always like looking through windows and then i realized oh no this is the visual interface that the robot uses like so it sees things you know that's it's looking over there but it has six or seven window displays up in its visual display so it's looking at things um but they uh it doesn't describe what they look like and so i i'm I, i'm interested to know whether or not they look identical to us or if they don't, because I don't know how you feel about that, but I think I want my robot companion to look different to me. I don't want indiscernible robot companions. That's, that's creepy and weird and uncanny valley. I want them to have like bolts in their neck and, you know, be made out of hard white plastic and don't even have to have like features for my sake. <laughs> just like a blank bucket for a face. <laughs> I would just like my slaves. <laughs> to be completely featureless 
So I don't have to have any empathy for them. Yeah, I know. Well, because the minute they become humanoid, the minute you start to think of them as being human and having human characteristics. I mean, we do this with our pets, right? Yeah. We, 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 uh, we examine our pets as if they're human beings. We already do this. Like, so we, of course we are going to project these same things onto our robot assistants, particularly as they get smarter and it feels like you have more of a relationship with them and you can, uh, you know, there will be the point, of course, where they become programmable in a way that the algorithm will just mean that they talk in a way that they actually do feel like your friend, uh, right? Like they'll come with factory settings, but after a while, the language and the shorthand, and I mean, in the same way as your Alexa or your home assistant, if you use them for a while, knows your various preferences for things, it's going to be the same with these assistant robots, right? That That's a great a scene in the in the novel where the mother is hanging out with the assistant and she's not getting on with her daughter and she says to the to the assistant well you've been observing observing my daughter do you what have you picked up and the robot's like well you know i've got like tons of stored data from observing your daughter you know i i I could i could mimic her if you'd like and the mother's like oh well i'd like that and so then the assistant starts talking to the mother in the way the mother would like to be spoken to by the daughter. And, you know, I love you, mom. And, all, and it's like so creepy, but you're like, oh, 100%. That's how we'll use it. That's exactly how we'll use it. I mean, that'd actually be a good way, like, for you to use it as well. Now I'm starting to see some of the appeal of it. Like, if I could just have my robot follow me around and observe me, and then I could send them off to various situations to behave in the appropriate way. Like, yeah, right. you know what I mean? Like, in a way yeah. that I myself can't always absolutely get a lasso on behaving in the appropriate way or saying the appropriate thing or understanding what people need from me. But if like my robot representative could take everything that encompasses me and then take the bit that that person needed in that situation, I could actually see, I'd be like, that's handy. Would you, would you, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, we're talking last week about the rock and, you know, does he answer his social media personally or is it a team of people? But that's, that's a more almost an extension of that discussion, isn't it? Like, because I after we did the podcast last week, I was I, I really studied the Rock's tweets this week, and I even went back to that Spence tweet. And if it is a team of PR um, people, well done, because the I don't know, like you know, in a, in a court of law, there'd be like a syntax expert or a handwriting expert or something. There'd be some kind of expert who say, "Well, this is you know, we're ninety percent sure this has come from the same person." It's all coming from the same person. Like just the, the the jokes he makes and the tone of that you can hear his voice when he you know he always calls himself a, a big bald bad mother effer you know all this kind of stuff and you know a joking about drink to that and it's just like I if it is if it is an algorithm or it is like a, PR, a team of PR people then they've fooled me will and I'm okay with the illusion. I mean, if anyone was able to access the latest algorithm though, it would be the Rock. Like he is in that position there. Like yeah. I can imagine some Seven tech, bucks bro, production. Some, <laughs> yeah. some, I reckon some Elon Musk style character comes to the rock and says, look, I've been working on this thing. Basically it's the, the algorithm that's going to explode, you know, social media for celebrities. You'll be able to do like what you want to do in your life, but it'll be able to reply in real time to people on social media, make it feel like you're replying to them. It will never say anything that you wouldn't say yourself. Like this is, I mean, that is, if somebody's working on that technology to do that, that would be very valuable, right? If you're a celebrity, 100%. you could easily go to like The Rock and say, we are going to, you know, social media is such a huge part of your brand. You're going to be able to do that full time. 
but it's not going to have to be you. Imagine being able to respond personally, in inverted mm. commas, to every single person who reaches out to you on right. Twitter. I mean, he must get, what, 15,000, 20,000 engagements on a tweet, at least hundreds of thousands probably. And imagine yeah. if each one of those people got a message back or even like a voicemail back, like that thing we talked about with the guy on TikTok. Like it's The Rock just left me a 15-second voicemail wishing me a happy birthday. Like that'd be incredible. I want that. <laughs> I mean, you, you couldn't do every single one because then people would know it was the algorithm, right? If you're trying to imply that it is actually you, because the algorithm needs to be secret for people to feel special. Yeah. Like you don't feel special that you got like a birthday wish from the Rock's algorithm. It's, it needs to be something that, you know, here's some great technology, but we can't. Well, here's what you do. You sell it as a tiered system. I think Twitter even toyed with that at one point. They're going to have like a two tiered Twitter. There's like exclusive Twitter where you had access to more features. That to me seems like a perfect application, that technology. It's like, okay, well, you can follow me on Twitter or you can follow me on Twitter premium. And if you follow me on Twitter premium, you know, you're guaranteed to get a response to your, you know, send me a photo, send me a message, I'll, I'll give you a response. Yeah, okay. Well, can, can we invent that if someone else isn't inventing <laughs> we... that? Because that would be a really good idea. That would make us heaps of money and then we could buy back some fossil fuel companies and we could be the billionaire superheroes. <laughs> Except we're turning them all back to coal. We're taking all those wind farms and solar panels to smash them. Will and I drive around and we buy the Leyland Brothers Jeep and we drive around Australia and just smash up solar panels and just start digging mines. No, I think we do the opposite. We, we, we get all these old uh, fossil fuel you know, sites and mines and all these sort of things, but just turn them into like like podcasting uh community hubs so that every place that used to have like a fossil fuel mine of any kind now has like a state-of-the-art because we've got so much money uh from our our secret algorithm a state-of-the-art podcasting studio so we give back to the communities yeah. and we turn fossil fuels into podcasting how do you feel about our our, our status in podcasting these days like i've heard a few podcasts that you've guested on and I've, I've done a few myself and generally there's always the introduction of like uh you know this is uh, will from tofop he's one of the og podcasters or you know he's one of the the grandfathers of podcasting and, and I, I i feel like your responses have always been the same to mine which is like i know that's a compliment but it doesn't feel <laughs> like one like it feels like we should be better or more successful at what yeah. we're doing considering we've been Definitely. doing it for it so feels like long. both of those things should be true. Yeah. We should be both better and more successful. <laughs> and perhaps if we were better, we would be more successful. But somehow we're just still here. Yeah. I mean, I did, we didn't pivot towards crime or anything like that. So maybe that was the, the issue is that we should have, we should have found a hook a long time ago and then just, that's because that's what Steel Saunders did. That's what sort of Kevin Smith did. He's like, okay, it's no longer about just chat. I'm going to be a, he's a just nerd. No, he's a nerd core thing. We're just going to talk about movies and stuff or Star Wars. If, or okay. So if we were just going to do a complete change of direction. Just now, one topic. Like, and turn this podcast into like any of the sort of like, you know, kind of podcasts there are out there. What do you think? And it mean, and I mean, this can be anything from a serial true crime podcast through to a um, you know, we're gonna uh, watch Guy Montgomery's Fra podcast where we watch every day, the same movie yeah. every week for like you know an entire year and podcasted about it. So, like any idea there is for a podcast, 
what would you like to if we could pivot our podcast now what would it be well, th- so it's got to be all right i mean there's two things i'm going to take into consideration which is like longevity is one thing like we don't want to yeah. burn an idea out which is because you know you could say something like well we're going to watch every film of the rock and, and talk about it but you know mm. i think that would r- run dry only so many observations about filming in a jungle that you can make <laughs> after a while i think i think <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also remarkably like sexless. Have you noticed that about the Rock's movies? Like he's never, like there's no, he's never like really passion babes or anything like that. He's just like, oh, rock cock is what you're saying. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think's going on there? Why? Why isn't he? I think that's always that's part of his family appeal, isn't it? That he like but you know he, that he it's can pash babes and still keep it PG. Like it's not like he's ever yeah. held up as like. I mean, is the Rock attractive? Like, do women? I'm sure women find him charismatic, but is he like physically attractive or is it kind of repulsive that he's just so gigantic, like a bag full of walnuts? I mean, a bit of both, I think. I think that he's charming and, and like, and I, that he's clearly attractive. Like, but is his body something that like women find sexually attractive or is it more something that people look at and go, fuck, wow, look at, wow, look at that? I would argue. I would argue that there are more men who are turned on by the mm. rock's body than women. That would be, I think that generally tends to be the case. Like I've, I'm yet to meet any woman who's like, I just love gigantic oversized muscles. They're like a fit dude. That's well, I think that's, you've answered your own question then. I like the rock doesn't want to turn off the men in the audience <laughs> who've gone there to see his movies. Like <laughs> They have to sit there and see him kiss oh, a woman Christ. on the lips while they're sitting down. I want to touch the rock. Get your hands off me. Or is it more the uh, the ridiculousness of like, you know, so you put, I don't know, Robert Pattinson in a tuxedo or something like yeah. that, you know, sexy, appealing, you know, but you put the rock in a tuxedo and it looks like you've, it looks like you've just like captured a cave troll. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. It, it feels it a romantic like lead? When, when you see the rock in a tuxedo, it feels like he has been captured by a freak show and it is happening against his will. He's about like to scale the Empire State right. Building or something like that. Exactly. You're like, while ripping it off, while it's sleepless <laughs> on the way up. But I think there is something about the size of him that it just doesn't look right to our eyes too. Because like, what woman do you match him with? Like, in yeah. a way, the sort of female like lead you'd match him with is like, what was the name of that um, the actress from Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. You know the tall yeah, blonde I name. lady, yeah, the lady from, knight from Game, uh, of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. Yeah, Gwendolyn Gwendolyn Christie is that her name? Maybe podcast might you can look that up while we're talking. Gwendolyn Christie. I so think. if you have some sort of um, Brienne, was she Brienne? Yes. Is that who she was Brienne in the Troth. show? Troth. <laughs> so okay, so if they had it in the final season cameo style, yeah it had been revealed that like the rock was a warrior from one of the tribes in game of thrones like some a bit more of a warrior tribe sort of situation i would have thought and like they had a romance with each other and you saw them like kiss or like have sex together you'd be like yeah okay they're both like you know dressed as warriors they're both kind of giants that looks all right but then like I, i think that just like if you see him next to any hollywood actress that they cast in these films with him you just it, it's it, it yeah i don't weird. know i mean it just feels like he's gonna crush her Gemma has this <laughs> he's gonna break her he's accidentally gonna break her Gemma has this weird aversion like it's just like a it's like a visual thing that makes her feel her, her feel like revulsion 
when she sees a really big person, like partners, lovers, a really big person, a really little person, like even Longoria for a while was dating like an NBA player and you see him side by side and like, you know, she barely comes up to his hip and like, I don't know, I don't know if Jem's imagining what the lovemaking's like and that's why it makes her feel sick, but there's just something about that kind of imbalance. I, I think you're right. Like you have to pair him up with someone as gigantic I saw a, uh, do you know who Pat McAfee is? The, uh, he's like an American sports radio dude. He has like a very popular radio show. I've been doing a lot of data entry, Will, because uh, as you know, um, uh, 320 episodes of TOEFOP went missing from the website. So I've been doing late nights, uh, re-entering every one of those episodes back in. So I've been watching a lot of like long form YouTube videos and been getting to a bit of Pat McAfee. And he had Brock Lesnar on his show. Brock Lesnar, famously a WWE superstar, also ex-MMA fighter, but just an enormous, scary-looking individual who doesn't really do interviews, is physically intimidating and seems to be like, like that reputation. He doesn't like talking to people. But on this Pat McAfee show, he really opened up. And he's just as scary in real life. Like, you know, he likes to hunt and fish. And growing up, he and his brothers used to just love fighting. They'd just go to parties just to fight, you know, like... And he said with sort of like, you know, not necessarily uh, as a boast, but just sort of a matter of fact, he's like, I was born in the wrong generation. He's gone like, I should have been born like 600 years ago. And I'm a, like a Viking. He's gone, that's what I'm good at. Like, I'm just a, I'm a big guy who's just good at like fighting. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, when you said he was born in the wrong generation, I thought, he was going to be like, yeah, like I should have been born 20 years before I was born now. Oh, because, no, no. You know, that's He's talking more my generation. Like you're talking 600 centuries. years. I should have been a Viking. Yeah, well, it's funny because there was an Onion article last week and that was like the gist of the joke was like, you know, man working at Costco would have dominated 3,000 years ago. And it is this thing because you look at him and he's this physical specimen and thank God he found like a, a career or a way to channel all that like testosterone and aggression. But... He genuinely is like, he just, you know, he has a, eats a keto diet. You know, he has a farm in Canada that he works on when he's not punching people's heads in for a living and genuinely has no interest in, uh, you know, uh, like delving into his feelings or, you know, progressing or, you know, like he just, he's just a, he wants to, he likes being that kind of caveman. And I was like, fuck, I wonder if like, the Rocky's sort of a mix of both. He's got the physicality of that, but he obviously has a mind that is obviously, you know, thinking more into the future. But I wonder if it does happen where, you know, they talk about genetically, you know, in utero that, you know, um, for instance, like babies that are born in war zones or in famines, they will come up and they'll be born with the ability to retain food or to hold on to what, because, you know, they've been born to this stressful situation. Like, I wonder if there is just this sort of latent gene where just some people who come from a warrior clan, it's just so hardwired into their DNA that it's going to take like another 2,000 years or something to work it out, that they're just going to come out wanting to punch on and eat red meat and, you know, have no interest in, in like thinking about things or developing their mind. It's just like, I am here to eat, fuck and fight. That's, the, that's what I'm here to do. And I guess what you're saying is there's been times in history where that, subset of skills have elevated you higher in the pecking order of society than other times. hundred percent. Right. If you were the biggest and strongest once upon a time, that was great. Yeah. Like that's all the qualifications you need. Yeah. That's all you wanted was to be the biggest and the strongest that made you in charge of things. Whereas 
the nerds have taken over the world. Like there's, oh man, you know, <laughs> must drive him. Mental. I mean, Brock Lesnar, when he hears about the metaverse, when somebody sits down and explains <laughs> to him the idea that some nerd can sit at home and be Brock Lesnar's size in some imaginary universe, he's going to lose his mind. Well, he was talking about he's got like two teenage sons, mm. and uh, he grew up on a farm in the Midwest, and so he's bought all this land like out in Canada, and uh, his sons, he saw them on an iPad one day and he was like fuck that and apparently just like locked the ipads away and so now his sons like they just go out and they work with him and he's gone even if there's no work to do i make him pick up stones because i want them to kind of like be out and be physical and, and grow up with like a sense of appreciation of hard work and i'm like yeah man but you might be also denying them for being the next michael cannon brooks you know <laughs> like this kid maybe he's got a real like affinity for that that ipad yeah and i gotta be honest with you picking up rocks not a lot of future in that these days <laughs> we've invented a lot of robots to pick up rocks mate and until they overthrow us and start throwing the rocks back in our direction oh i just it just made me wonder like there, there must be there must be a certain percentage of people out there who have just that's their genealogy mm. like you know they came from that kind of stock and now like they're in a world where like you say like the nerds have taken over and it's like what do you what do you do learn, what's, what's this, the phrase learn to code <laughs> it's like hey you know you used to skin like a saber tooth now learn to code but the other thing is there may be a return to when being big and um you know like strong like i mean if there is a breakdown of, of our society in any way then you know being big and well, strong might become valuable again well i guess in i mean they should appreciate the fact that society has progressed because now there are ways for guys like that to make millions and millions of dollars like he has done by entering like you know a professional arena so i guess it is like a win-win for those guys you get to still crack heads in but you also get millions of dollars so you can buy a farm in canada i mean i guess so like but it does feel yeah. like that this thing that used to be the most practical of all assets to be able to have became a circus act right yeah like you are now actually in show business you're not actually in fighting you're in show business and the, sh the business of show business that you're in is is fighting but it is not fighting for you know, your place in society in that sort of practical way that it was. Yeah, that's right. And he even sort of said that, like that's the one thing he's learned about, you know, because he was he shifted between MMA and WWE and he said that both of them has gone, I see them both as the same thing, although one is sort of like choreographed fighting. He's gone, it's really just about selling tickets. It's, it's and, and that's your only value to mm. them. Like they don't give a fuck about you really. They just want to know, are people wanting to come see you? And so you make yourself the biggest attraction you can be so whether that's i mean he literally is just like a big attraction or if you're a smaller guy but you just know how to get publicity like conor mcgregor then you're going to make a lot of money um i, I wanted to tell you a quick story and i know that uh, we're getting yeah. towards the end of the podcast so uh, i am on tour for the first time in a very very long time and uh, i'm in adelaide at the moment doing the adelaide fringe if people want to come along and see me but then hopefully i'll be going to melbourne too for the melbourne comedy festival and uh I arrived, uh, I, my first show was on Thursday and I arrived on Wednesday night, but I had to take, it was a bit of a long travel day. So I had to get uh, a car up to the Gold Coast from where we live and then fly from the Gold Coast to Sydney and then Sydney to Adelaide. I couldn't get a direct flight that was going to get me in on time. And I got in, I got into Adelaide after a long day of traveling, but my luggage did not make it to Adelaide with me. Correct. Yeah. So first time back out on the road, Made it to Adelaide, no luggage. And of course, because I haven't been traveling for a while, I didn't, I'm not in my regular thing of like, sometimes I'll even plan for that. I'll put a few extra things yeah. in my overnight 
yeah, the bag I'm taking on the plane just in case. But because I hadn't been out for so long, I just didn't really think about that. I just chucked everything I needed, including the microphone to do this podcast and all those things in the suitcase. <laughs> oh, shit. And so I land in Adelaide, go to the, the baggage claim. And here's the thing. So I'm now legally able to travel with um, you know my medicinal weed, right? Because I've got the, the government prescription. And so it means that I've got my little prescription cases and I can carry them with me. But like now my bag that contains my weed is somewhere. It is not with me in Adelaide. I mean, it's fine. Uh, it's Adelaide. You can, yeah. um, you know, it'll people, be fine. People have access, yeah. <laughs> but there's- You know some people. But also this idea that I now have this kind of Chappelle Corby style unidentified yeah. bag just floating around out there, you know, like, so anyway, uh, I asked them if they can track down where they think the bag is. It turns out the bag has not made it out of the Gold Coast. It's still in the Gold Coast. So having it, a great time. Yeah. It didn't, <laughs> it's, 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 it's been a cocktail and dreams. Yeah. And a whole bunch of stairs <laughs> from nightclubs. Yeah. Went and visited the candy man. It was a whole thing. It's at the candy, still at the candy mansion, I believe. <laughs> That's yeah, my suitcase. There's a whole bunch of my pictures of my suitcase surrounded by strippers at the candy mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Having a great time. They're all smoking my medical weed. <laughs> so they say, um, is there anything identifiable in the bag? And I said, well, you know, here's some things that, you know, like, so they open up the bag. It's definitely my bag. So it's up on yeah. the Gold Coast. Say, so, uh, there's a flight coming in Adelaide 2.30 tomorrow afternoon. So we reckon we can probably have the bag to you by, you know, 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. And I've got like to be at soundcheck for my show at 6.30. So I needed to become, there's only a pretty tight window for this pretty bag tight. to come. And I cannot wear, I've been wearing the same clothes for two days. And you know where there's that in-between thing where you like, if I knew the bag wasn't coming, I would go and buy some new clothes to wear in the show, or at least a new underwear and those sort of things, right? But because they've yeah. told me the bag's going to be there tomorrow, I've just rolled the dice on. I don't need to go and buy new things. I can just wait for the bag. I can ask a question. Are you, when you fly, are you someone who dresses in the most comfortable clothes possible? Definitely my, not going on stage clothes. My pants have regularly a regular pair of pants has three holes one for each leg and one for your like sort of waist that's that, that's i suppose like pockets if, if you count them as holes i would say yeah. that this pair of pants have at least double that amount of holes in them <laughs> <laughs> at least like so, and right. this, so hobo pants this oversized shirt that is somewhere between like farmer and grunge like a checkered sort of shirt that like yeah. neither is cool enough to be a grunge shirt or farmer enough or to be a farmer shirt. A yeah, giant right. oversized comfortable shirt to be traveling in. So yeah, no, definitely okay. not stage, stage clothes. Okay. And so, so yeah. Okay. So I get to the next day. Uh, I call the call center early in the morning, the number they've provided me and uh, it, it becomes clear to me immediately. That the person that I'm talking to, is not in a call center that is anywhere near any of the airports that my bags would be in. If my bags get anywhere near the person in the call center I'm talking to, then I am truly in deep shit because <laughs> my bags have now left the Gold Coast and are on an overseas adventure. So 
that's not to, this person was as helpful as they could be with the small amount of information yeah. they had, but they were just didn't. I know what you, I know what you're saying though. You, the level of investment when yeah. someone is in a completely different country is not going to be as high as if they are in Australia. And plus none of like the sort of stuff that perhaps I could have done, which was, you know, they might recognize my name. I could say I need the shows oh. close for my show tonight. Not, none of those powers work. Yeah, right. I can't imagine yeah. they were all sitting around watching Gruen in wherever this call centre may have been. So <laughs> they were as helpful as they could with the information that was on their computer screen. But literally, it, you know, they're one of those things where you're like, I could ask other questions, but they clearly yeah. only have three pieces of information. And regardless of what way I decide to answer, ask the questions, they're only going to be able to tell me what they know. Like, it's not their fault. They just know what they know. Okay. Can I ask when, uh, like every time I call a call center these days and they have to look something up or there's, you know, I've made an inquiry, there's always the perfunctory, so how's your day going? What is your answer? Do you give an answer to that? Do you just dismiss it? Do you, do you think about it? Uh, I must admit that at least in this most recent one, I don't think that she asked how my day was going. Oh, I shit. think she immediately knew that my day was not going well, probably from the <laughs> way that I'd explained what had happened and how vital okay, it was for right. me to have this, this suitcase okay. by the afternoon. I reckon she jumped straight over, how are you, into I know how you are, let's see if I can help you. And look, she could help me a little bit. Like what she was able to help me with was say that it says here on the screen that your bag got on the plane to Adelaide. So like, you know, like it's been loaded from the Gold Coast to Adelaide. So realistically, okay. there should be no reason that when, if that plane has landed in Adelaide, that your bag isn't also at the airport. And I said to her, I said, well, has it gone out yet? Has it been like sent out yet? You know, can you, are you able to tell me that? And she goes, we have no information that it's been sent out yet. And I said, well, do you think then that it is worth me just getting in an Uber and going out to the airport and seeing if I can just pick up my bag. Like if it's just there, can I just go and grab my bag? And she goes, well, yeah, I think it'll probably be at the airport. So I'm like, all right, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out to the airport. I'm just going to go. And I'm going to, I'm going to put on my holy pants. <laughs> well, I could, no, the they were already on. I couldn't take them off. That would be the only pair of pants I had. <laughs> okay. So um, I get in an Uber and I'm trying to be, you know, as COVID safe as I possibly can about everything. So you, so I like, I'm, I'm double masked. I'm sitting in the back seat. You know, I want to do like, you know, but it turns out that the guy's driving the Uber is this older fella, ABC demographic. And his name's Brian. And he, he only drives an Uber for the company, for the conversations. Doesn't need to do it, but just like enjoys it. You know, like it gets him away from the computer screen and all those sort of things. So I thought you were going to say it gets him away from his wife. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I spoke very fondly of family, but he okay, just good, likes having good. interesting conversations. So I explained to Brian what's going on and uh, he and his wife are fans of Gruen. And so Brian's suddenly my accomplice. He is billed to my Ted. Fantastic. Or vice versa. Yeah. And uh, He's short round to your Indiana Jones. Exactly. He is the Kevin Hart character in this, in that he is the person who's going to be driving me around. And um, yeah. uh, he, he says, look, I wouldn't normally do this, but I'll do this for you. There's a hotel behind the airport where you're not meant to really pull in and wait, but because you've only got to go in, grab your bag and come straight back out, I'll go in there, I'll park, I'll, you know, and I'm like, oh, look at this, Brian, willing to break a few rules to make this happen. When we get there, <laughs> there's no one at the hotel. It wasn't really that yeah, big right. a like, like they would have probably let him stay there for eight hours. No one was there to move him on. He wasn't in anyone's way, but you know what? I appreciate it nevertheless. So I go in 
I go upstairs to where the woman in the call center has told me the bag will be. I ask them, they're like, no, it'll be downstairs in the baggage. And so I go downstairs. As I'm walking towards the baggage, the dude who works at the baggage spots me from about 20 meters away. And I can just tell from the look on his face that something, something's gone wrong. You know, like, you know, because he just sees me and then like his face drops. And I'm like, oh no, what, what? What is it? What's about to happen? So I, I go in and he goes, mate, we've, we've sent your bag out already. He said, like, he recognised who I was. He knew it was my bag, it turned out. And he goes, we've already sent it out. It's out with the courier. And I said, well, but it wasn't at my hotel when I left my hotel 20 minutes ago. And he goes, oh, well, unfortunately, what happens with the courier is he'll have a bunch of bags to deliver to a whole bunch of different places. And just depending on what his route is. And I said, but mate, I, I, I really need this, like, by the show like i'm so sorry but i really need this by the show and he goes well i'll ring him i'll find out where he is at the moment where he needs to go and so he rings him up you know finds out where he is he goes look he's going to be at your hotel by this time which was like i was like oh, that's really fucking close to showtime or he's going to be at this hotel this hotel and this hotel like on the way so maybe you could get to one of those hotels and like cut him off so brian and i decide fuck it I love in for it. a penny in for a pound like, yeah. let, let's go. Let's I'm go. I'm just saying, die hard with it. Die hard with a vengeance. You've just like commandeered the cab. You're just driving through <laughs> yeah. Hindley Park. Just well, it was weird the because the career was leaving a series of cryptic clues at every stop for us to follow. <laughs> Simon says. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the first one we got to, literally, what they said to us was that he was just here. If you rush, you can probably catch him. And then we caught him, Charlie. We caught him. Amazing. You know, yeah. You know where we caught him? Back Where? at my hotel when he <laughs> delivered the bag. So he literally, if I got the bag at the exact same time I would have got the bag if I just stayed at the hotel and done nothing. Literally everything that I did that day did not influence the timing of my bag getting to my hotel in any way. That is incredible. and But you know what? I understand the mentality behind it because you felt like you were doing something. And at least that way, because the anxiety about like, oh shit, is going to happen. At least you feel like you're taking action. Did you make the show on time? Was it actually all okay? I made the show on time. Yeah. I, it, okay. it was It was one of those things where um, I didn't make my sound check on time, but I, it turned out luckily there was there was not another show before me. So I went and kind of did a late sound check just before the show. So it worked out fine in the end, but it would not have worked out fine if they... I mean, I, I, the nicest way I could put it is people would have believed me when I said I was from the Northern Rivers because I definitely smelt of Mullumbimby. Like, <laughs> there was a real active smell about me. Uh, we've got a couple of quick uh, little messages from people. If you want to email us, you can. You can go to tofop.com. There's a little contact form down the bottom of the page. You can send us an email. You can actually specify which show you want a message. In this uh, case, it's Tofop. Um, thank you to everyone too, all our Patreon subscribers, even though we took a three-month hiatus, uh, you kept supporting this show, which has been amazing because we still had to kind of people to pay and, and things to do and, and, and bills and all that kind of stuff. So thank you so much. Um, I have sent out the latest uh, batch of uh, uh, $20 tier um, posters, autographed posters. In fact, there's one listener, Jake, who um, uh, he didn't supply his address and so I'd been haranguing him for months to get his address and finally he got back and said hey man 
Uh, thanks for being so persistent. You've actually already sent me a poster. <laughs> but if you want to send me another one, I'll take it. So we have two posters uh, available. So I did send him the other one just as a little bit of a thank you. Um, if anyone else uh, is uh, signing up at the $20 level, your posters will be coming up right now. But this is from Andrew. He says, hey, uh, a while ago I heard Will's gripe about Bluey for the first time. Then Charlie said he hadn't seen it. So I'm thinking to myself, dude, Charlie, watch it. It's fucking amazing. Then I thought, I should write in and tell him to watch it. He'll thank me later. But I didn't. When I heard you talking about it recently, well, who knows when that might have been, I still smugly thought I told you so, uh, like the vague dad that I am. Also, apologies if you've already covered this, but maybe I've forgotten. Have either of you seen the movie The Boondock Saints? I'm interested to get your read on it. I first saw it as a spike-haired, corn t-shirt wearing, eyebrow-pierced 18-year-old and thought it was the shit. Now I prefer Bluey. So my questions are, if you have seen it, what did you think? And are there any films you've seen that you thought would never age and that you'd love them forever only if you define yourself mostly, uh, only to find yourselves as mostly grown up men realizing they're not actually as good as something like Shawshank? Uh, Boondock Saints. No, I, well, I have seen it, but I, when I worked in the video store, that was the number one rental for spiky head, eyebrow pierced, corn t shirt wearing dudes. Like, it's a knockoff Tarantino. Oh crime thriller guns akimbo have you seen boondock saints i remember seeing it when it came out and could not like but that's what i would have said i was like it was like lock stock and suit smoking barrels meets yeah. tarantino meets like exactly it was just one of those very forgettable movies for me i did see it but i very can't remember it hugely popular uh, when it came out but i i didn't i wasn't taken with it but if you are interested in that film i can recommend a fantastic documentary called overnight because the director of that film whose name is something duffy um he is they made a documentary when he miramax um gave him this deal to make the boondock saints he got this incredible deal where they were going to make this movie and he was going to direct it first time writer director they also signed his heavy metal band to do the soundtrack and this documentary sort of it's if some documentaries are a rags to riches story this is a riches to rags story this film starts with him with this incredible deal and then you watch this guy who's such a fucking loudmouth, so arrogant, just completely undo this golden opportunity where he's pissing off like he's having meetings with Ewan McGregor and Ewan McGregor's going, that guy's a fucking asshole. I'll never work with him. And you just see this thing completely fall apart, all based on this one writer-director's ego. So if you feel like maybe you don't love the Boondock Saints like you used to, I reckon check out this documentary overnight because it's a great perspective on the making of that film. Do they, is it called Overnight a Boon Documentary? Because if not, they've missed an opportunity. <laughs> it is not It is not called that. Um, but that is SoFop for this week. Thank you uh, so much uh, for listening again. We'll be back again next week. Uh, remember, you can support us at Tofop. Uh, patreon.com slash tofop um, brand new everyone relax comic strips are up there uh, james fosdyke has been busy uh, over the break and we've got lots of other great content up there and we'll be back with bonus episodes soon so uh for now do we, we plugged all your shows you oh, yeah so i'm in adelaide uh, for another week so uh, we're logical tuesday through saturday night and then sunday night my improvised show what you're talking about will not tonight uh, as I thought it was. Uh, so uh, I even did a video on my Instagram this morning telling everyone it was my improv show tonight and then had to be informed by a whole bunch of people. In fact, including one dude on Twitter who was like, I reckon that's next Sunday. And I was like, no, I reckon I'm doing both Sundays. And then it turned out I was not. So doing well logical. <laughs> but the final uh, Sunday night of uh, that I am in town, which is uh, next Sunday night, 
I will be uh, doing what you're talking about, Will. So come and see that too. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.